Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hello, this is the Redbox Podcast. I'm Matt Chorley, bringing you the best of my times radio show. You can listen to Politics Without the Boring Bits live on your DAB radio, on your smart speaker, or download the Times Radio app. Coming up on today's episode, I loved this. It's, I've been, we've been wanting to do this for ages. The politics of quiz shows and quizzing politicians. Why are politicians so bad on quiz shows? And what do the answers that the general public give on game shows tell us about the knowledge about politics? Basically, you know, you watch Pointless and it turns out nobody's heard of basically any politicians, which is a great reminder for those of us who are obsessed by it. So that's coming up in just a sec. Really looking forward to uh, you hearing that. Before that, as ever, let's take a look at the news with these two. Manveen Rana and someone called Matthew on Times Radio. Yes, it's that time. Uh, we speak to Manveen Rana. Hello, Manveen Rana. Hello. And this week's Matthew is Matthew Bell. Hello, Matthew. Hello, hello. Me hello. again. Nice to do something. Don't say it. We, like we need that. a bell noise when we're on. <laughs> Ding. I've got one. That's literally a bell. I'm ringing it. All right, that's enough of that. Uh, let's talk about private schools. Uh, so uh, we long understood that the Labour policy was to take away the charitable status of private schools. Uh, now, uh, Labour said they're not going to do that, instead, but they are going to still press ahead with actually the sort of the practical implications of that, which means that 20% VAT will be applied to school fees, and they're going to look at business rates. Uh, now, the Tories are saying this is a U-turn. Labour is saying, well, it has the same practical impact on uh, on private schools. Interested in the politics of all of this, Manveen, um, does it work if you, you know, you're taking on, I suppose it depends whether or not you have aspirations of sending your children to private schools or have been to one yourself and therefore feel under attack or are those people in such a small group and you're 20 points ahead in the polls that actually everyone else thinks good, yeah, good on them for, for going at it. What, what, what do you think, Manveen, the, the politics of all this? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's difficult, isn't it? The actual numbers of people who go to private schools are tiny. You know, I think it's about 560,000 people at the moment. Um, but if you add in the number of people who have been, or as you say, the aspirational stuff is really interesting. You know, they always sort of say this about inheritance tax. The number of people who actually pay it is tiny but because so many people aspire to pay it one day to have enough money to, to need to pay it that they don't really want to see it applied. And I think it's the same with private schools. People sort of hope that one day they may be able to send their kids to one. So having, a, you know, 20% VAT thrown on fees, which are already astronomically high, um, you know, doesn't, won't sit well with a lot of people. Um, it's interesting though, you know, in, in terms of the politics, Keir Starmer has backpedaled a bit by sort of saying this isn't an attack on private schools. We're just trying to be fairer to state schools, which, you know, is a slightly more palatable line, I suppose. Um, but it sort of feels like more than um, more than 
backpedaling on the policy altogether. They've just come across, they've come a cropper because they've sort of, they've realized how complicated lawmaking is. Um, you know, you can have these grand ambitions and then suddenly you realize the implications of taking away charity status from private schools. And it turns out you're accidentally changing the definition of charity uh, across the law full stop. And, and that's so much more complicated that they can't do that. I think even this ambition of not needing to change charity status in order to to charge VAT is going to run into trouble pretty soon because so many educational products are exempt from VAT that if they change this, I think they could end up accidentally changing lots of things for state schools without realising it. So uh, I think they're just sort of finally realising, um, you know, and this is mainly a cabinet who hasn't had to govern before. I think they're realising how complicated it is. It's an interesting question. You do wonder, actually, uh, Matthew, whether um, Keir Starmer's reshuffle a couple of weeks ago, where he bought lots of the, the people who have been into government before uh, into his sort of central team, where they have started looking at things and saying, well, that's going to be really complicated. And actually, basically, I think what they're saying is they can change VAT rules through a budget, which means that actually, were there to be, for instance, a spring uh, election and Labour came in and had a you know a, a budget soon after, they could actually implement this really quite, really quite quickly in a way that a long piece of legislation rewriting charity rules uh, might take longer and get bogged down and cause a, uh, more of a ding dong. I just wonder whether you think that that, that sort of washes Matthew. Um, yeah, well, I think what's exciting is that they are talking about um, big ideas. And this is a big uh, problem that I think England, Britain has grappled with for a long time, the division between the private sector and the state sector in schools. And it's a very difficult problem to resolve. Uh, but I, And I think, they, as Manvin says, they're going to run into problems with the nitty gritty of it. But at least at this point, a year from the election, it's good to be chucking these big ideas out, talking about it, slightly testing the water, seeing what the reaction is, and then acting accordingly. Um, and I think, you know, if you listen to Keir Starmer, what he's been saying about it, he's not saying he wants to attack private schools. And I think that's the right thing. Private schools in England are incredible. Whatever, you know, whether you went to one or not, they are very impressive. Possibly, I mean, they're too good in a way. They're too rich, I would say. And if you go to one now, they look like uh, luxury hotels, more than they look like schools, which at a time when state schools, are current, you know, some of them are shut because the concrete's falling from the ceiling. It's this incredible disparity between rich and poor, which you see in the, in the physical building. So I think what Kirstama has said is that he's not waging a war on private schools. He's actually doing a, a program of levelling up. Um, he's trying to bring state schools up to a level and the money's got to come from somewhere. So where do you get the money from? You, you, you try out this Robin Hood tax of, of taxing the rich to spend on the poor. Of course, it's not going to be popular with so many people. Um, you know, it's, it's already incredibly expensive to send your children to private schools. And, and the private schools would argue that those, that 7% uh, is actually re relieving some pressure from the state because those pupils are not going to state schools. So the parents who are sending their children to private schools are kind of paying twice. They're in theory paying for a place for their children in a state education and they're paying uh, these astronomical fees to send their children to private schools. So it's it's an incredibly complicated subject. Whether he can do it, I think he probably can do it, as, as, as we were saying, you know, if he does it through a budget, that seems to be a way around it. I think the mistake probably was saying uh, taking away charitable status, because as we've, as we've said, that's a huge can of worms, which would have knock-on effects and unforeseen consequences on so many other institutions who don't deserve to be penalised. So the, the way of doing it, they've just got to find the right way if they really want to do it, and it, it could be dangerous. And then what's been interesting is the... Sorry, go on, Manvi. I was just going to say, I also think the timing is interesting because, you know, this is something that Labour has talked about for a long time. 
Um, you know, the Blair government was always, you know, talked about private schools, but ran into trouble when ministers were sending their own kids to them. So, you know, they've always sort of had this difficulty talking about what to do about private schools. And I think what's interesting is how much has changed since Labour was last in government. I think it would have been much harder in the Blair years to strip private schools of charitable status because so many people, it was a realistic um, idea for so many people, whereas now the prices have gone up so much um, it's no longer sort of, you know, if you're in, if you're middle class, chances are you're not going to be able to send your kids to private school unless it's subsidised in some way. Increasingly, it's sort of the international elite who are sending their kids to British public schools. So I think so many people already feel disenfranchised from that system who in the past would have sent their kids to public schools that in a way um, it's probably easier for Labour to go at it now. Yeah, and you're right. Actually, and actually, maybe the 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 fact that they're aligning it with well, if we we can waste this money, we'll spend it on teachers uh, addressing you know the 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 upside of addressing public concern about state schools uh, might outweigh that. But then, what are the other things that was interesting was the, the the sort of the Tory reaction to this, because what they've ended up uh, uh, doing is attacking Keir Starmer as they like to, Mister Flip Flop, and all of that. Gillian Keegan, the Education Secretary. Uh, posted online 2020, Keir Starmer says we'll abolish tuition fees. 2023, likely to move on from that commitment. Uh, January 2023, childcare until the end of primary school, said Bridget Phillipson. June 2023, that's not Labour policy, says a spokesperson. And now this, says Gillian Keegan, no plan, just playing politics. Now, I just wonder whether it's possible to mount the accusation that you keep flip-flopping and changing your mind on flagship policies while... Uh, changing your mind and flip-flopping on flagship policies like uh, Net Zero last week, possibly HS2 uh, this week, is it a charge that you can mount? Or is one person's long-term decisions for the long-term someone else's uh, flip-flop? Uh, what do you think, Matthew? Well, I think it's, an, it's one of the eternal problems in politics is that you say one thing and then you're beholden to stick to it for the rest of your career. And that's wrong. You know, the mark of an intelligent person is the ability to have an open mind and be persuaded by an argument. And that's the point of a, a debate and a chamber of debating is about that. Uh, and so I actually am all for flip-flopping. I think it's important that any um, party or person can change their mind because, you know, things change. Um, you can't just keep on banging the same drum uh, and ignoring the opposite, the opposite arguments. And all politicians and all parties change their policies all the time. You just have to do it in a slightly uh, intelligent way and say, when we said that, we were wrong, things have changed, and now we're doing this. Uh, and there's no shame in it. I think that's fine. Uh, what do you think, Mavid? Well, I, I agree. I think intellectually it's very limiting to always stick to the line you've, you've taken and not have the ability to change your mind. Um, I just think it's a really odd attack from Gillian Keegan because, you know, as you say, in a week where the government is flip-flopping, at huge cost. I mean, flip-flopping on HS2, the sunk costs there are horrifying. So while it's fine to change your mind if, if, if things change, I think when there's a massive price tag attached to it, you don't want to be reminding people that flip-flopping is a bad thing. Uh, I think a more effective uh, attack line would have been, we're glad he's seen the light and agrees with us on whatever. You know, I think that would have been much more damning. So it's weird that they've gone on that. Also, sort of, you know, the Tories are in real trouble with this. You know, you mentioned net zero, HS2. Um, you know, it'd be great to know where they really stand on the pensions triple lock because we know yeah, that's they another want one. to scrap it, but they won't say it before an election. 
you know, they're bound to go in with a manifesto saying they won't scrap it. And if they got in within two weeks, it would be gone, probably, you know. So I think it's really difficult at the moment. It feels like um, nobody in politics is really saying what they believe. Um, and yet we're all expected to, to vote on that basis. So it's really interesting that sort of, uh, you know, a U-turn is in the eye of the beholder. So YouGov <laughs> asks this question regularly. When the government does a U-turn, what do you think about it? And obviously, you know, they've been doing this for a couple of years, but obviously it's always been a Conservative government. So overall, 39% of people say that government U-turns are normally a good sign. It shows that they're willing to listen and change their minds when people complain or situations change. Uh, just under that, 34% say they're normally a bad sign, showing they're incompetent, weak, or have not thought their policies through properly in advance. But if you look at the uh, the political breakdown, 59% of Conservative voters think that government U-turns are a good sign, uh, whereas amongst Labour voters, uh, it's uh, much higher. 38% I think it's a bad sign. More people think it's a bad sign than a good sign. So maybe it depends which side you're on. And if it's your side making a U-turn, it's an entirely sensible, pragmatic thing to be doing. Uh, and if it's your uh, you know, your opponents on the other side, then um, uh, suddenly, you know, it's terrible. Flip-flopping, flip-flopping. I, my big fear is we might end up getting to Tory conference in Manchester and they might be giving us some, some Keir Starmer flip-flops. Because that's the sort of <laughs> that's the thought. Because last week, last week the Lib Dems that, were giving out. If you come out, away from conference with anything useful, that's, well, that's, true. that's probably a game. But one of the best ones was years ago. What was what would it have been? There must have been two thousand. Was it two thousand seven? I think Tory party conference when uh, Gordon Brown bottled the election when he, everyone thought he was going to call an election and then he, he decided against it at the last minute and they gave us a bottler Brown, which was not something I was familiar with. But it was basically Newcastle Brown Ale. Uh, which is called a bottle of brown, bottle of brown, uh, and they'd read down the labels on it. We all got bottles of beer. Now, that's the sort of thing. That's the sort of thing. I'd rather that than a pair of flip-flops. Or so last week at the Lib Dems, we had um, uh, blue Lego, and you could build a blue wall and then knock it down with an orange hammer. So who knows? We all look forward to that merch next week. Um, right, let's move on. I want to talk about uh, freedom of speech. Dan Wooten, as we know, uh, a GB, as the nation knows, a GB News presenter. He's been suspended uh, from GB News after basically laughing along to these comments by uh, fellow presenter and leader of the Reclaim Party, Lawrence Fox. If I met you in a bar and that was like sentence three, chances of me just walking away are just huge. We need powerful, strong, amazing women who make great points for themselves. We don't need these sort of feminist 4.0. They're pathetic and embarrassing. Who'd want to shag that? Oh, Lawrence. Well, look, she... <laughs> yeah, hilarious. Uh, so they've now both been suspended. But the thing I'm interested in is if, if GB News is pitching itself as the home of free speech... Can you do that and then to suspend two people because of an outcry over what they've said, Mary? Um, well, that isn't new for GB News. Um, you know, GB News came along in, in order to be the place where you've got free speech and it wasn't limited. And, you know, I, I don't do this very often when I come on here, but I've got to plug a podcast we did about two years ago where we spoke to Gitto Harry. Oh, yes. He had just been fired from GB News. And he sort of said, you know, he went on thinking, this is before his days in number 10, he went on thinking, you know, the media space needs somewhere where your, you know, your speech isn't limited, you can say what you really think, and it's a safe space for for freedom of speech, uh, until it turns out you say something they don't like. And he took the knee after 
um, English footballers had sort of faced an awful lot of abuse. He sort of said, you know, I've, I've thought about this. I've thought about this issue. He took the knee and then found he was suspended and then sacked for doing so. Because it turns out free speech at GB News is very much about saying the things they want to hear uh, rather than whatever you may want to say. I think I think their definition is quite limited. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I don't think this should come as a surprise to the presenters for being suspended for saying the wrong thing. But also, you know, I mean, free speech is sort of such a meaningless term. If you go back to the philosophy behind all of this, all freedoms always sort of had, uh, you know, responsibilities tied to them. You know, a lot of this works under the harm principle. You know, you're free to do whatever you want to until it harms somebody else. Um, and this, which is clearly just abuse of a named individual, um, you know, that that obviously harms somebody else and you're yeah. putting it out you're giving it a massive platform it's basically bullying via tv um and you know in a horrible sexual way too uh i can't believe it it was allowed to be broadcast i can't believe the presenter didn't stop it and i i'm not surprised that they've been suspended uh, even from a free speech organization actually to be honest and if, if dan what had said come on lawrence you can't say that and he'd said all right yeah fair enough good point that would have basically been, it, was, it was the sort of <laughs> Yeah. Afterwards. What did you make of it, Matthew? Well, I think it's the problem of these plucky little startups, you know, let GB News start out saying, oh, we're going to be different from the mainstream media. But as time goes on, these little uh, companies become part of the mainstream media and then they have to abide by the rules that everyone else is part of. And, and uh, you know, so it's it, it, there's a red line for everyone. And of course, everyone is pro free speech. But the, the red line for the BBC is you have to say on the one hand, on the other hand, uh, and for GB News, uh, I mean, they've done the right thing, which is good. But for Lawrence Fox, he'll think, well, what was the, you know, I thought the whole point of GB News is I could say anything I wanted. Yeah. But his red line is different to GB News's. And, um, you know, and it go we've had this uh, argument forever in terms of, you know, is it wrong uh, for the Internet to allow uh, people to promote fascist ideas? Yes, it is. It's an unregulated yeah. Wild West. Um, but, you know, there has to be a limit somewhere. And, and clearly, um, GB News have finally realised that there is one even for them. This is Times Radio. Uh, very good morning. This is Matt Cholley on Times Radio. Now, still joined by Manvin Ryan and Matthew Bell. But would you give someone a bell without warning them first? Oh, very good. Yeah, good. <laughs> Should have seen that one coming. Uh, there is uh, the Washington Post, apparently, has contacted an etiquette expert to find out the new rules of using your phone. Don't leave a voicemail. Text before calling. You don't need to answer. Are they right? Let's speak to William Hansen, who's an etiquette coach, host of the Help I Sext My, Sexted My Boss podcast, and uh, one of my favourite contestants on The Wheel. Uh, William, morning. Hello, Matt. Thank you for having me. No, so what are your rules of using the phone? Uh, yeah, I think texting now, uh, can I give you a quick call, please? Or can I give you a quick call because of, and then giving a bit of a subject line, like we might do an email, is fairly standard practice, particularly for those that are sort of 45 and under millennials in particular are quite averse to just the phone randomly ringing uh, with no prior warning, uh, which is a great shame because actually the, the phone is incredibly useful and I hope stays around forever and ever, even though we have voice notes and all sorts of other ways of communicating now. Um, it, uh, what do you think of this, Manvin? I I think it's a generational thing, isn't it? I mean, um, I find this with sort of uh, younger producers and friends you know there there is a whole new etiquette you know you're not really supposed to just pick up the phone and call voice notes though oh god i know no, so YouTube irritating so if, you sort of, 
if you <laughs> uh, because nobody's got the time to type anymore so you talk into your phone and send it off as a voice note that's fine if you leave a voicemail world of a world of trouble if you just call a world of trouble um without warning i think it's sort of seen as an intrusion on your life now but also the message saying always with you can can you talk like that like just a tech you do i think you're right william you do have to say what the call is going to be about otherwise it's like i need to call you because you're going to be fired uh matthew bell where do you stand on this I love a voice note because did you know oh. that when you play the voice note, you can you can accelerate the speed at which it's played. So it's like Mickey Mouse going, <laughs> blah, 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 and you can just hear the message much quicker. But no, but they're such a good use of time. Um, I think you know. Uh, no, they're not. Course, no, they're not a good but, use of time because when people are doing it, they get a bit distracted. It's like, oh yeah, I'm just phoning about this really. Oh look, oh oh, there's a big pigeon. There's a like long rambling, like a podcast that nobody wants. Um, where just send a text. Well, but sending a text takes a long time. That's, you know, that's your own time. Yeah, but it's your time. Stop wasting my time. It's your time. Write a shorter text. Uh, You can play it at double speed. Try it next time. Or even four times the speed. You can play it really fast. Very funny. Um, But William's right about... Go on, William. William, sorry, are you trying to come up, William? No, no. no, I was just saying that William's right about... You should (laughs) never call someone uh, and say, I need to speak to you urgently, because it usually means something bad's happened. It has to be really... It has to matter. So the thing of sending a, a warning text, I think, is polite and correct. Yeah. And this, this suggestion, uh, William, that emotions are for voice, facts are for text. So if you're just communicating information, a text is fine. But if you need to do something with some emotion, you probably need to speak. Yes, absolutely. And that is where voice notes are helpful, because you can hear the person's tone. So text, yes, keep it fairly factual, keep it short, try and keep voice uh, notes as short as possible. I do agree, a lot of them do go on. Uh, The new Apple iOS actually transcribes voice notes. Ah, it's a win-win. Which is, well, it's fine, but you still can't hear tone, so I'd always suggest people do still listen. Matthew Bell and Manveen Rana, then of course you can listen to Manveen on the Stories of Our Times podcast wherever you get your podcasts from. Up next is the politics of quizzes. You're listening to the Redbox Podcast now. It's time for this. The Big Thing on Times Radio. Yeah, today we are talking quizzes. Now, on the show, uh, we obviously do Can You Get to Number 10 every week. We love a quiz. But we want to look at the politics of quizzes. Uh, Politicians doing quizzes and what quizzes and game shows tell us about what the British public know about politics. Well, who better? Who better to take us through it? Uh, The woman who's sick of this music, uh, the chases Jenny Ryan, a.k.a. the Vixen. Jenny, how are you? I'm great. I feel a bit re-traumatised, though. Do you hate that music? (laughs) Uh, It it just sends me into a certain mental state where I feel like I need to crush people's dreams. Right. Well, don't do that now. Uh, we're also joined by the comedian Lucy Porter. Hello, Lucy. Hello, my lovely. I love hearing that music because it's my kids when they were young. Uh, I would always watch the chase, and so they love hearing the chase soundtrack because they think it's time for fish fingers. Because it was always like, "Oh, mum will get the tea oh, it's on time. after this." It's tea time. Like <laughs> Once dog. she's watched her yeah, quiz, yeah, yeah. she'll get the she'll get the tea on. <laughs> so we should explain. You're both here because you do fingers on buzzers, which is a podcast. And now in its fourth series? Yeah. Yeah, we've yeah. done about 100 episodes now. Yeah. So and now you've produced a book by the same name. So look, it, two, there are not two people who know more about quizzes. 
we are immersed in the world of quiz. We We're are. part of the cult of quizzing. So yeah, and we uh, we always love talking about quizzing, and this particular angle has got us very excited. So what? Ha, why? Why? Apart from killing time before you put the tea on, <laughs> where did your love of quizzes come from? Well, for me, it's it's a family affair. I think it's the same with with Lucy. A big quiz family, but particularly my granddad. So he taught me reading, writing, and quizzing at the age of three. <laughs> and uh, yeah, just wanted to impress him by getting things right on fifteen to one. Really. So, mm. how did you then end up on the chase? Oh, uh, a long and winding road via university challenge, via writing questions for shows like The Weakest Link. <gasps> uh, so there's always been a quiz in the background, but my dream job finally came around about eight years ago and yeah it's it's absolutely made for me do you have to spend your whole time swatting um is it possible to swat it's it's tricky you you kind of get to a point where you're just taking in info on a on a very low level basis all the time and sort of almost analyzing whether it's going to be a quiz question (laughs) on the chase are they going to ask me about the chancellor of gabon no are they going to ask me about who's uh who's just died in eastenders yes so let's figure that one out she is a nightmare to watch telly with or to talk about anything with because you can see the the wheels turning where it's like she's not listening she's just remembering that fact and are you any good at quizzes i love them i'm a uh, uh, that's a different question (laughs) i'm being like a politician i'm not actually answering the question that you asked me i um yeah no i'm a very enthusiastic quizzer and i have been on the chase twice Mm -hmm. uh won one, lost one. I've got three pointless trophies and I am uh, a mastermind champion of champions. I don't like to toot my own horn, but I will. She's got more trophies than I have at quizzing. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Well, I've done pointless. We uh, with Mariana Fushtop earlier this year, and it's still not been on, so we're not allowed to talk about it. <laughs> oh, okay. I'm trying to read your face Christmas, to see how it went. Apparently. Christmas, apparently. Okay. Christmas. Right, anyway, so let's uh, turn our attention to, first of all, what quizzes tell us about the public's knowledge of politics? Because I think it's really interesting. In fact, when I did it, we ended up having a conversation with Alexander Armstrong about how even things that he thinks are quite well known. You know, certainly people don't know, you know, who Philip Hammond is or whatever. Anyway, this is one of my personal favourites of a political question. This is from ITV's Tipping Point. Which UK political party shares its name with a collective noun for moles? You can pass this to Alice if you're not sure. I am not 100% certain, so I'm going to pass it to Alice, I think. Right, Alice, we're looking for a UK political party that shares its name with a collective noun for moles. For some reason, Liberal Democrats is shouting out to me. Okay. I'm not sure why. I think I'm going to go with Liberal Democrats. Oh, oh wow. I know why, Alison. I'm not sure why. <laughs> no, because you do, you think, if, if the Lib Dems were an animal, a little mole, a little yeah. mole just oh, popping yeah. its head up every you now and then. You think it was a genuine logic... She was just thinking moles. Yes, it was an emotional games. decision rather than yeah. a logical one, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. And and I can actually visualise Ben Shepherd trying not to let anything pass across his face. <laughs> He's a legend, that oh, man, isn't he? He he gets some of the 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 silliest answers on that show. The classic one, which was uh, Homer said that if uh, yeah, Homer, nectar Homer said is the, the drink of the gods, yeah. then what is the food? And uh, the contestant was like, I think it's definitely donuts. Uh, I think it's... <laughs> Again, you could see where yeah. it was coming yeah. from. But, uh... And because when you're on the show and in the lights and the music and you're thinking, I'm in the telly, mm. your brain starts working in different ways. It does. I, I have 
Just so much respect for every contestant who puts their head above the parapet to go on any show because I've been there myself and it is, it's a huge risk you're taking, especially when you realise that the daftest answer will be clipped, put online and go around and be played on radio yeah. shows around <laughs> the world until the end of time. Well, without giving, without giving away, when I was on Pointless, there was, there was, you know, there were like eight, eight questions, six questions. Uh, and I was there was one I just couldn't get, and I became so obsessed with that one that when I got it, I went for that one, yes. even though there were others I could have worked out would have been yeah, low well, score because you just the genius of pointless as well is it is not about what you know, it's about yeah, what other people know, know, and it is really easy to misjudge that. And I think especially with politics, like if you're interested in politics as a bit of a hobby, yeah. then you do just presume that everybody's yeah. heard of everyone, and then you get there was a, a screenshot the other day on Twitter. I don't, I, I don't know if it was true or not, but uh, someone had been asked which uh, leader of the Labour Party went down a mine at the age of ten, yes. and <laughs> and she'd answered David Cameron. <laughs> Which is wrong on so, so many, many levels. levels. Yeah. Um, so many. But, you know, that's, I guess, But it's leader, a reminder, and we get it, you know, we get it when we do our focus groups on the show, that people's knowledge of politicians, their backgrounds, the party they're in, is mm. quite limited because mm. people have other stuff to do, you know, going about their, their lives. Well, they're all the same, aren't these politicians? They're all <laughs> the same. Yeah. Well, well, and also, in a quiz situation, often it's quite good just to, like, if you know a tiny bit like so just remember the five most prominent Tories at the moment the five most prominent Labour at the moment and you're probably going to be right it's like if they say which Swedish politician yeah right it's probably going to be Olaf Palmer isn't it or you sort of within a quiz you can normally work out what will be useful like Jenny was saying before what is going to come up reasonably what you need to absorb well here's an odd this fact this one is from Pointless uh (laughs) it is politics but it's American politics this one let's take a listen we want the names of these historical figures. That's quite hard. Um, I'm going to have to go with assassinated by Lee Harvey Oswald in Dallas as JR. <laughs> but I think I might have got completely the wrong... The wrong Dallas? Yes. <laughs> JR. Well, <laughs> I really thought that was going to be a correct answer. Uh, uh, <laughs> Oh, thank you, Gemma. <laughs> wow. Joyful. I mean, also, Jay, she was there with Jay. You she can get the It was initials, get, yeah. Dallas, JFK, the connection, JR. The, you know, shot. Yeah. It was all there, but she should have known it was it was Kristen who shot JR, wasn't it? It was. Not Lee Harvey. Osborne. You get the bonus point, I think, yeah. Uh, look, can we do this one as well? Cause I, partly because I love the wheel and also because it's Joey Essex. <laughs> this is Joey Essex on the wheel answering a question about American politics. Oh, dear. Which animal is the traditional symbol of the US <gasps> Democratic Party? All right. Oh my Eagle. God. Ain't there. Bear. Ain't there. Elephant. <laughs> Donkey. <laughs> I thought it was a cat. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so, so confident as well. Yeah, it's, it, oh, it's not there. <laughs> you would be a much more political, popular political party if you had a cat, like a really cute yeah. cat. Well, I don't know. I'm, I, I, I'm not. You're a dog person. I'm very much dog. You'd lose the dog vote, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Rabbit. I mean, the thing is, you wouldn't necessarily go to Joey Essex for American political knowledge. No, but the the, the fact he was so confident <laughs> yes. going into it, kind of, it's, def- it's got to be a cat. I'm waiting for a cat. It's not a cat. Where's that come from, Joey? What, what, what source 
Have you got that yeah. from? What's on what's that's on Jerry Essex's brain? Ingrained into his mind. I think, I think that's a that's a different program altogether. But then you never know. This is the thing about quizzes as well, is it really exposes like sometimes people surprise you. People you think you can do brilliantly mm. don't. That's definitely then... true of the wheel, because it's suddenly you suddenly discovered that I don't know, Richard Madeley's big into jazz or something. Yes. Because you don't, it's not a thing that you realise and suddenly they... I don't think that is true, actually. I think he, he, <laughs> the last time I watched The Chase, he, uh, the, uh, the wheel, he was rubbish. Uh, <laughs> let's move on and talk about uh, politicians doing quizzes. Uh, do they fare any better? So Ed David, Keir Starr and Rishi Sunak have all agreed to do the quiz that I do on the show. Can you get to number 10? With varying degrees of success. <laughs> Who was the last Liberal Prime Minister? The last Liberal Prime Minister um, was it? Bannerman. <laughs> no, he's not at the hurdle. Question number four for Transport Secretary: What's the speed limit on a dual carriageway? <laughs> Sixty. Seventy. No. Oh. <laughs> no. Matt, thank you. I've got I've got a couple of hundred people who are waiting for me Wish next door, and do I don't want to keep quiz. them waiting anymore. Wish but you thank you, you for quiz. my thank you for your time. You're not going to do the quiz. I, I literally have got two hundred people waiting for oh. me next door, and I was meant to be there two minutes ago. So can we get look, you back? It's to been do the really quiz. nice to talk to you. Can we get you back? I'm, to do I'm, the quiz? I'm sure we'll find time, as you can see. Yeah, I'm sure we can find time. <laughs> Didn't you do something similar earlier? <laughs> that was almost a year. That was more than a year ago, and still no. And he's still never been back. So Ed Davy got to Chancellor. So we got nine out of ten. That's mm. good. Uh, Keir Stum, I think, got to Environment. So it was three out of ten. Mm-hmm. But at least he did it. Yes. Yeah. Oh, All I credit mean, to you. Yeah, having, I mean, I understand why politicians are reluctant to do quizzes because they do have a lot to lose. Where, you know, being a comedian or even a broadcaster, yeah. it's not, the the stakes aren't as high. Whereas if you're, you know, you want to lead the country and you don't know, you know, the capital of Poland or something. You're supposed be... to have knowledge if you want yeah, to yeah, yeah. be in charge. Well, we also yeah. pretend that they're sort of, they're supposed to be superhuman and know everything about everything at all times. And this even happens when they're on doing interviews and. I mean, it's particularly education ministers have this problem. Here's the schools minister, Nick Gibb, being asked a, an apparently simple maths question on Good Morning Britain. Three questions for you, Nick Gibb, schools minister. What's eight times nine? I'm not going to get into this. <laughs> uh, learned uh, through bitter experience never to answer these kind of questions. Nick, on eight times on nine is a times table. I'm not asking how you change the world. <laughs> That sounds like me, actually, That's when faced with yeah, a mental arithmetic question. I'm not getting involved in this. Is that this. your weakness? Yes. Yeah. It's it's not that I can't do the, the sum. Yeah. It's the pressure of it. And that's yeah. where I have I have a lot of empathy for that. that well, moment. the flip side is sometimes politicians are really good at doing quizzes. Here's Liz Truss being brilliant, which is not <laughs> always what we say, uh, being brilliant at matching leaves to tree species on the BBC. Wow. Can you tell us what leaf that is and from what tree it comes from? That, that's a horse chestnut leaf. <laughs> oh, well done. <laughs> Point number one. Correct. Let's move on. Adam, I know you don't recognise any of these. What about that one, Liz Truss? I believe that's an oak leaf. Well, you're just too good at this. <laughs> All right, we're not catching her out just yet. And let's try the third one. I think this has been increased in size, but I think it's a rowan or a mountain ash. Gosh, that's very tenacious tree. I mean, you may be more specific for <laughs> me. No more tree. detail about it. Goodness, I take back everything I've ever said about her. She's a genius. <laughs> well, now we found it. Everyone's good at something. Yes. yes. And she's good at leaves. Yes. Get her on Autumn Watch. 
<laughs> I mean, I have got an app on my phone that can do that, but... Uh, I think yeah. that was pre that. It was yeah. pre that. Oh, but, good. Yeah, so there we are. Uh, and then, slightly less successful, this was uh, David Lammy, uh, Labour's now yeah. Shadow Foreign Secretary. On, uh, you bo- you're both familiar with this one, aren't you? Mm. On BBC's Mastermind. Which variety of blue English cheese traditionally accompanies port? Leicester. Stilton, who acceded to the English throne at the age of nine on the death of his father, Henry VIII, in 1547? Henry VII. Edward VI. In chemistry, what French word is used for a tube for transferring measured amounts of liquids? Pass. Which country's so-called Rose Revolution of 2003 led to the resignation of its president, Edward Shepard Nadzer? Yugoslavia. No, it was Georgia. In fairness... The advice we always give to people who want to go and mastermind is give an answer, don't pass. Don't because pass. sometimes yeah, it will yeah, come yeah, down yeah, to the yeah. number of passes. Yeah. Oh. So at least the ones that you could have a guess at, you know, name a country, he was having a go at. But it's, it's a studio, so the, studio so the situation. Because yeah. you get marked. So if it's a tie, if you've had more passes. Yes, you lose. So just keep yeah. giving wrong answers is better. Yeah, yeah. Good yeah, top definitely. tip. There. And also, I mean, I did feel like it wasn't a terrible performance. I think what happened was he just had that thing that's happened to all of us where you, your brain, you, you're thinking about the wrong answer you've just given yeah. and yeah. then you're not listening and to the question that's coming up. And you, you run out of energy spiral. as well because that's at the end of the time. Yes. And yeah, if you lose focus, then it's, it, it's just downhill all the way to that final beep, beep, beep. I think the thing, the reason it was sort of notable was because he was, like, often when politicians are doing quiz shows, like with reality shows, it's a kind of late career decision. Yeah, it's yeah, when yeah, things are already, yeah, whereas he was like, oh, he's, you know, very kind of, much in the thick of very it. much in the thick of it. So I think he was very brave to also, do Also, that. that's just a really tough one as well, because that's like knowledge yeah. stuff. Well, like that, you know, the Henry VIII, I think if you'd asked me who succeeded Henry VIII, I would have... I wouldn't have said Henry the Seventh. I wouldn't have said Henry the Seventh. Henry the Ninth. Because that's just that's <laughs> <Yes>. just maths. <laughs> but yes, it, well, they were you know they weren't easy. The list though of um, uh, specialist subjects on uh, Masterminds. Right? David Blunkett, the Harry Potter novels. Edwina Curry did Marie Curie. Neil Hamilton just did British politics. Uh, David Lammy did Muhammad Ali. Michael Howard did Liverpool Football Club in the nineteen eighties. Uh, Tim founded Blackburn Rovers 1990 to 2000. <laughs> That's quite specific. Anna Subri, Faulty Towers. Uh, it's an interesting thing. The ones that they pick, you think you, when you're picking your mastermind, especially subject as a politician, you're kind of trying to convey some other yeah. aspect. So you sort of go with, like Tim Farron did Blackburn Rovers. It's like I'm a man of the people. Yeah. You know, I'm kind of... Um, and Lembit Opig, Lembit Opig did Candor and Ebb musicals. Lovely. Which That's is a, a very niche choice. Yeah. As as he is a niche man. Uh, <laughs> if you were picking these people, who would you have on your... Which politician would you have on a, on a quiz team? Oh, I, I would like to have Andy Burnham. I reckon he, he gets the rounds in yeah. mm. and he comes up with some good specialist answers, especially in sort of music. Yeah. I think he'd be pretty nifty. Indie of the 90s, yeah. I suspect he'd be very good on. And you're very right, Jenny, because actually when you're thinking who's on your pub quiz team, it's part quiz, but it's also who do you want to go to the pub with. Yeah. William Hague, I yeah. think. He's obviously a bit nerdy. 14 pints, famously. 14 pints, yeah. he'd have a great night out. Angela and he knows Rayner. stuff, he'd be good on history, he's written books. Yes, exactly, yeah. he's just got that sort of, you feel like there's a lot tucked away yeah, there. Yeah. Angela Rayner, I think, would be good, yeah. because in my experience, red-headed northern women are very good at quizzing. Very so, much so. Uh, in fact, we had actually did our end-of-year quiz last year, she was good. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. S- I suspect Although she Although in one round, we had someone dressed up as Father Christmas, and she said, I know it. And I was like, oh, who is it? Well, no, I I, I don't know the name, I just <laughs> recognise the face. And I was like, that's Half of the <laughs> half of the challenge. Well, what about when politicians host a quiz? 
Is that what you want? Uh, this is uh, former Tory MP Anne Widdicombe hosting the Sky Show Clever Dicks. Hello and welcome to Clever Dicks, a general knowledge quiz show for intellectual gladiators who think they can hold their own in this no-holds-barred contest. <laughs> well, I that. But uh, will they be able uh, to, right, to turn off? Turn them off. <laughs> Turn them off. Uh, and there was also uh, former Labour MP Robert Kilroy Silk and his brilliant ITV's Shafted. Their fate will be in each other's hands as they decide whether to share or to shaft. Yeah. <laughs> You're a fan of that one, Jenny? You know, Shafted was was underrated. I think I'm not sure he was the right host. Right. Um, similar with Clever Dicks. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it. it both those shows felt like an excuse just to get a, a former MP to say something slightly saucy. That's basically yeah, as the, the title name, of the that's show. Just it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Clever Dicks only lasted one series uh, for for various you, reasons, you, mostly to do with the host. <laughs> <laughs> right, but let's bring in uh, a, a politician who's done lots of quiz shows. Aaron Bell, Conservative MP for Newcastle upon Line, uh, Newcastle Underline, is here. Hi, Aaron. Good morning, Matt. Morning, uh, Jenny. Morning, Lucy. Uh, uh, so, just remind us which shows you've done. Oh, well, that would take a while, but the, the biggest ones are probably University Challenge, Weakest Link, uh, Only Connect. Uh, I did Deal or No Deal, which isn't really a quiz show, but it does it does have a question in it. So uh, I did quite a lot of shows before I, before I was an MP. I haven't done any since. Um, so uh, maybe I, that's a lesson for us all, really, that perhaps better to do it before you get into mm-hmm. politics rather than while you're a serving MP. It, it's a way of gaming it, so you get on, you're, you're more likely to get on these shows, Aaron. So I, I, the first one I went on was The Weakest Link in about 1999 when I was a student. And then that, at, around that time, there was a huge explosion in game shows based off the back of um, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? Uh, you know, there was a real revival in game shows. And at the same time, uh, new channels were popping up like Challenge TV, Channel 5 were looking for quiz shows. And as students, it was perfect because you could you know, obviously usually take a day off from lectures or, or tutorials or whatever and just go to the studio. Uh, and, and actually once... The TV companies knew you were comfortable in front of the camera and you could like you know, have a bit of rapport with the host and so on. They'd be happy to have you on. Um, so I went, the vast majority of the quiz shows I did were in that sort of period from about 1999 to 2002 or so. But later I did, uh, um, Deal No Deal was a lot later. Only Connect, obviously, only when it actually came on, uh, which I think the series I was on was in 2012 and The Krypton Factor was about 2010. As I say, I haven't, I haven't really done much since then, but uh, I've got a a long pedigree, if you like. What's the, what, what was the best or most you won? Most of one was um, £25,000 on Deal or No Deal. Wow, um, that's all right. Yeah, and, uh, and I only had 50 pence in my box, so uh, that was quite a, a, quite a good outcome, basically. <laughs> uh, I, I split it with my um, then-girlfriend, now-wife. We went to the audition together, and we agreed we'd, have to, we'd split it if only one of us got on. So I had to write her a cheque for £12,500. <gasps> Uh, but that's, uh, well, he's just still together. It, it all ended up going to the house deposit anyway. Yeah, so exactly. really Better than a cheque for 25p. Yeah, and at least <laughs> you're still together. Absolutely. She didn't take the cheque and then dump you. That, that <laughs> no, really exactly, exactly. Now, I've only, Aaron, I've only just uh, uh, discovered this, but it turns out that Jenny has got some questions. Yes. No, 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 no. You <laughs> <laughs> thought I, about this, how, how we shouldn't answer these questions. So, I, I, I don't think these will be a problem for you. Um, so go on then, quite Jenny. friendly. Okay. So turning the tables. You're used to answering them on the chase, and yes. now you're going to ask Aaron and I. Yes. Go on then. I've got a few politics-themed questions. Right, so, go on. Name all of the leaders of the opposition who are against John Major. All, all the leaders of the opposition who went up against John Major, yes. so... Start with Kinnock, uh, and then 
between I don't I don't think there's anyone between Kinnock and Smith interim. I don't think there was. And Smith and then uh did Margaret Beckett, Beckett do it briefly? Beckett. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. And then Blair. After Smith died and then Blair. Yeah. yeah. Perfect. Perfect. But Beckett Answer's did it twice, team. didn't she? Didn't she stand in when Joel asked uh, Kinnock stood down? Did she was she not acting anyway? So you're giving me more information than I have here. That's very impressive. <laughs> I like that we've decided to do this as a team effort. Thanks for the help. I'll tell you what, let's do on this next one. Shout we'll shout out our name if we think we know the answer. Okay. Right. Uh, the mayor of West Yorkshire appeared in one hundred and ninety five episodes of which TV show? Matt. Matt Matt's Coronation Street. Coronation Street. Yes, yes. yes. Tracy, Tracy Brabin. Brabin. Yes. Tracy Played Brabin. Trisha Armstrong. Very good. 1989 to 1997. Yeah. Um, how many members are there in the US Senate? 100. 100. House of Representatives? 435. Yep. Plus, plus extra ones for DC and so on. <laughs> Which former Tory leader was born in Swansea with the surname Hecht? Michael Howard. Correct. Wow, that's good. And how old was William Pitt the Younger when he first became Prime Minister? Oh, 24? 24 is correct. Well, very good, Matt. Well done. Oh. Well, it's in my book, so it'll be I quite read, bad. I read when you made book, I should know that. Dream Team. That was very good. Thanks, that was very, is there a show that you'd that was... still like to do, Howard? Um, I would... Uh, perhaps like to do mastermind one day, but it takes so much. It takes so much preparation. You have to study the specialist subject quite intensively to have any any real prospect of doing well on it. And I don't. I wouldn't have the time to do that now. Um, but it, yeah, mastermind is sort of the granddaddy of what would, you, what would be. What you must have thought what your specialist subject would be. Yeah, I'd, I'd probably do something like Test cricket since uh, maybe 1981 or something like that. English Test cricket because I'm. You know, I've got enough interest in it that I, I know some of the facts already and I'd enjoy researching it. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Something like that, perhaps. It's taking it seriously. Well, have you, you ever do. done Mastermind? I did do Mastermind. My subject was Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Was it? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'd go for something like, just something very small. I could see why. Was it uh, Anna Subri did Faulty Towers? Just a TV show, one or two series. But yep. then they ask you very deep questions. So you can go for a broad topic uh, uh, where the questions can be quite shallow or something yeah. very short and specific but they can go into any depth of detail so you have to take that into account oh, maybe i'll do the lib dems instead because i have a weird amount of knowledge about them which is very rarely of any great use nothing to do with moles no nothing to do. <laughs> <laughs> uh jenny it's been brilliant uh brilliant to have you in uh jenny ryan from the chase aka the vixen and comedian lucy potter brand new book is out it's called fingers on buzzers uh and it's basically it's an interactive kaleidoscope bonanza celebration it is, of the Great British Quiz. Of the Great British Quiz. Uh, and the podcast, you can download things on Buzzers wherever you get your podcasts from. Uh, I'm really good to uh, see you. Will we see you in Manchester? Yes, I'll be up, up on Sunday. Do you fancy doing the Egg and Spoon race? Not sure about that. <laughs> Great. Thanks for that, Aaron. Excuse <laughs> 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 uh, me. Aaron Bell there as well. Yeah, we'll, we'll be at the Toy Party Conference next week and we will be doing the Egg and Spoon race with or without Aaron. And that's all we've got time for on today's episode. If you like quizzes and politics, you'll love Can You Get to Number 10? 10 questions loosely connected to 10 cabinet jobs. The more questions you get right, the better job you get. Take your place alongside our listeners and guests in our cabinet. If you get to number 10 and get that right, you'll cross the threshold and become our show's Prime Minister. If you want to come on and play, can you get to number 10? Keir Starmer's done it. Ed Davies done it. Rishi Sunak ran away from it. If you want to come on and play, email me matt at times.radio. We'll get you on very soon. But for now, for me, Matt Jolly, it's goodbye. 
Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50-80% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.